what if being a survivor is a powerful identity and not a like identity of only oppression. And I think like, regardless of your identities, other than being a survivor, like because of that work that those women have done, there is like this framework that is available to us of like, being a survivor is powerful. It's not being quote stuck in your trauma, right? Like I do not like the word victim for like a million reasons, but like if we want to find what's like a better word, like let's say being stuck in your trauma, right? And like that being everything and all you can see, which is also really important to have those like days, months, years where you're like, just in it. Like sometimes you just have to be like, this all happened to me and I'm so devastated and angry and like it's all you can do is just sit in that yep um but then the like transformation happening in owning survivorship hey loved ones welcome to naked conversations a space for you and I to meditate, strategize, and dream of the tools needed to transform into radical selves. I'm your host, Martisa Williams, free being, radical wayshore, and liberation doula. My purpose is to support the collective on our journey to deeper joy, sweeter justice, and fulfilling presence. So are you ready to step into your most liberated life yet? Let's get to it. Hey friends, so I'm collaborating with my longtime friend Liz Wilsey this October. So I've asked her to come on so we can talk to you about what we've got coming up. So I'm excited for this offering because it's a chance to work together and experiment for 30 days. You and I talk about stories like all the time, but I think an illustration for folks may be helpful. Yeah, so here's my example from a couple weeks ago. A dear friend and I were talking about organizing and in the middle, I started to feel like they were quizzing me, like there was a right or a wrong answer. And a past Liz would have gotten increasingly annoyed and probably lashed out. But I was able to say, it feels like I'm being quizzed, which let my friends say, oh yeah, that's not what I meant. And we got to talk about it. The whole thing was maybe done in two minutes and we were able to move forward with a better understanding. These kind of misunderstandings happen all the time at home, in work, in organizing, and too often, instead of stopping and checking in, we just let it go. Then we're in our own story about what's happening. It may be real life or it may not. Right, and the only way to know is to check in with another person, but we don't check in sometimes because we're afraid and sometimes because we just don't know how. So here comes connect and communicate. So we're inviting you to a 30 day nervous system experiment where you get to learn through experience and practice to be more honest and vulnerable in the ways you communicate. So I've done 30 day programs that left me drained. Our goal with this one is to give you ways to engage that are mindful of your capacity. 
and we call this an experiment. So it's easier to let go of what you already know and imagine what could be possible. So we're gonna have some fun. We're gonna support one another and be mindful of our own capacity. So signups close on September 19th and so that we can have time to pair you meaningfully with someone to be in practice with if you choose. You can visit the link in the show notes and join us. Hi, dear ones. Welcome back. Thank you all so much for your messages and your love um, regarding the last episode. It was such a tender episode, an intimate one. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, my previous partner and I did a um, episode or interview together where we talked about our learnings from our five years of romantic partnership. And um, it was intimate and it was something that I felt um, I'd love to share with folks to show that like love can be constantly in transition um, and the end of a relationship or one container of a relationship doesn't mean um, the failure of it. And so I'm really grateful to have been able to share it with all of you and for your sweet notes um, about it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. How was your week? I wish that we could like I could get a response from you in real time, but I will settle for a response from you uh, whenever you hear this. Uh, but how's your week? How's your heart? Um, I have been thinking about love for the last few weeks now, but especially because I've been reading for the first time, surprisingly, All About Love by Bell Hooks. And um, I really am, I really enjoy being able to read a book from one of the folks that, um, whose work has like deeply informed my political and social praxis. Um, there's a joy in just reading their work, especially something that I haven't read before, but it's an extra joy in my own autonomy and sovereignty of reading the work and being like, hmm, I actually maybe don't agree in that particular way, but I love to be in, engaging with the work that way. Um, I don't know what it is about it. And reading all about love, um, there's so many, like there's, I highly recommend. It's an amazing text. Bell Hooks is amazing. Um, she was one of the first black feminist that I started reading um, back in high school. Uh, but in All About Love, the way that she defines love, I've, I have, it's not that I disagree, but I think it's just more than what she's defining it as. And I have been kind of in a swirl of trying to um, get a definition in my head about love but love is so deeply ineffable and um i struggle i understand in the book she says that you know our lack of definition around love um keeps us from really truly experiencing it and i 
understand her point of view from that point. And I also think that love is what we are. It's what makes us up. It is what animates all of life. And so I don't think that we can have a separation from love. Um, I don't believe that there is a binary, like you either have love or you don't. I think you are love. And the ways that we engage with it and how radical we can be with it determines the state of our loving. But I don't think that we can be without it. I think that we can deny ourselves the perception of it. But I don't think that just because we don't feel it doesn't mean it's not there. I do agree that love is beyond a feeling. I also think love is can be a feeling. So <laughs> I have been over here um, swirling around with that thought and um, noticing my embodiment of that and um, noticing where love shows up in my life and and uh, honoring it and, and engaging in it in kind of with a beginner's mind. So if you have any insight on, on the topic of love, uh, let me know. Shoot me a DM over on Instagram at let's get naked because um, I'd be super interested to know how you are thinking about love and how you define it and how you engage with it in your world. For me, it's a very radical act. Love is a radical act. And so um, it's something that I'd like to get to be constantly pondering, constantly in relationship and constantly perfecting. Michael Beckwith uh, says that we're here to perfect our loving. And uh, I can't agree more, even if I can't get a full definition of that. <laughs> So um, anyway, on to this week's episode. I'm super excited to share with you um, a really lovely chat that I got to have with Andrea Glick, who is a licensed therapist, a somatic trauma therapist, supervisor, and writer. Andrea specializes in treating trauma, nervous system dysregulation, and PTSD, prioritizing women, survivors, and queer and trans folk. She utilizes neurobiological body-based and feminist therapy practices to help clients feel safe in the present and come home to themselves. Andrea practices online and lives at the confluence of the Mississippi, Missouri, and Illinois River on stolen indigenous land and can be found on Instagram at Somatic Witch. In this episode with Andrea, we talk about her path to becoming a, a therapist, um, stress and trauma. The she gives us a nice little definition and run through of the polyvagal theory, um, co-regulation and the internet, and how can we co-regulate or how is the internet um, harmful to our co-regulation when we're seeking it there. Um, tips for co-regulation um, and how co-regulating with the earth um, is a deeply beautiful practice. Um, we talk about neuroception, navigating cultural and ancestral trauma, tools for calming the nervous system, and then her practice as a kink-affirming 
um, therapist. Um, this is an awesome episode. I just love... <sighs> Andrea is just like super sweet and super knowledgeable. And I think you're going to get a lot from this episode because um, we just have like a really engaged conversation. So um, I will see you on the other side. much Andrea for coming on I'm so so excited that we finally got to connect and chat yes me too thank you so the question I ask all of my guests is what made you you I love this question so much I think in my my practice I talk a lot about authenticity and that like especially in a culture in a society where so many of us have lost connections to our cultures and ancestors. I love this question so much. Um, but I, I very much feel like my, my ancestors and my lineage made me, me. Um, I am 100% Russian Jew and my ancestors experienced, yes, like many, many, many generations of trauma. And there's such a strong, history of resilience, um, making something out of nothing in the shtetl, which were like these um, towns that Jews were kind of like relegated to in certain parts of the world to like make, yeah, make a town out of like being sort of pushed out of society. And um, as a queer person also, which like deeply informs what makes me, me, um, I feel like those two identities go together so perfectly where it's like, yeah, sort of like being in the wilderness and being like, okay, I'm going to like make community or I'm going to make gender or make sex happen um, with no sort of societal ideas of like what that looks like. Um, so those two parts of myself definitely inform who I am and also the the like lineage of survival from ancestors, but also like my own as a trauma survivor. And feeling the sort of like biological uh, strength <laughs> to be able to like endure and also recognize um, where like healing and feeling and emotion can happen instead of just like getting on with life and not not allowing there to be space for that. So yeah, that's my that's my long answer to your beautiful question. <laughs> I love it. It's such a beautiful answer. I love it. Love it. I love the language of, you know, like being in the wilderness and trying to create a home. Like, I, I think mm. that's a beautiful illustration of that and can so relate in so many of my own personal identities. Um, so you, how did you get to therapy? How did you get to trauma-informed space? Like how, what's your, what was your journey into this work? Yeah. I used to feel like it started in this very small kind of crappy building on the side of a major road in St. Louis, where I'm from, um, where I worked as a crisis counselor as a teenager for other teens on the phone. Um, really incredible organization. And that was always kind of my answer <laughs> to like how I got started. I but like I think that. as I've done more, like, not just like lineage, deep lineage work, but also like even just my, my like ancestors for my family that is like still alive. Um, my mom is a psychotherapist. Um, so therapy has been a really big part of life 
and like was just very normalized. And, um, and then my maternal grandmother was the clinical director at Planned Parenthood here in Missouri. And she actually helped, um, transition from whatever sort of like quote unquote women's health center into a Planned Parenthood back in the day, like as Roe v. Wade is happening, like, okay, we're, we're figuring out on the fly. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And, and she worked there for over 40 years. Um, with her high school diploma, she was awarded an LCSW, which is the degree that I now have, which is pretty cool. So it's very much in my immediate like family. And then also, um, I do really feel the like deeper lineage within psychotherapy of Jewish people. And just the way that like, I think because of our trauma, we've always been asking these really big, deep questions. And there's been a lot of mistakes that have been made, particularly by like white cis straight men in the field who are Jewish. And at the same time, like it is, um, yeah, it is like a, it is a lineage that I like feel informs my work. Um, but originally I was like, I don't want to work with trauma. Like (laughs) I just want to like work with queer people, which was like such a funny distinction. Like as if you can work with queer people (laughs) and not deal with trauma (laughs) and not deal with trauma. I was like, yeah, no trauma's too heavy. Like I'll just work with queers. It'll be light. We'll talk about sex. We'll talk about identity. And then in my work with my queer clients and trans clients, it was like, oh, everybody has trauma and everybody not only has like childhood trauma or more recent trauma, but their bodies are responding to that like trauma history. And that's sort of where my trauma framework uh, sort of like merged with a somatic framework, like a body-based framework is we can't talk about like the psyche or psychological um, symptoms or traumas without acknowledging what's happening physically. And that's again, also like so evident in my own life. I've had so many psychosomatic or like unexplainable <laughs> like medical things. And if you look at, again, my lineage, is just like full of the same sort of like stress related chronic pain and illnesses and also like psychological um, symptoms. So that's all of that sort of like coming together is like, okay, I can't be a queer therapist without also being a trauma therapist. And also this was kind of always, I think going to be where I ended up with like framework wise and job wise and um, purpose wise. So again, still like really informed by all of those parts of my life. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I think it's so funny that you say (laughs) you were like, I'm not going to talk about trauma because it's uh, (laughs) I feel like I'm sure now you're like, oh, like there is no human almost without trauma. Like mm-hmm. there is yeah. no human experience without also the experience of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like it, it baffles me so many, so often that I like think about the ways that our institutions aren't trauma informed, mm-hmm. like the school systems and the hospital systems and like all these systems are not trauma informed. And it's like, how, how Sway, like how, how do you live your life and like work with humans and not have a trauma informed Mm -hmm. like basis? It seems so counterintuitive at this point. Yeah, certainly. And I think the more that like, it becomes more of a conversation that stress is also trauma. And I think Mm -hmm. about that a lot with like capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, all of these systems that are very stressful, Mm -hmm. um, but are also deeply traumatizing. And like, maybe it's the stress of like, not being sure of your safety on the street, or maybe it's even just the stress of like, 
getting an email from your boss. Like mm-hmm. that is that is deeply stressful for our bodies because we're sort of like biologically created for surviving in like the wilderness again, right? Yes, so yes. um yeah, I, I love the way that I see people realizing that like you can have trauma responses or you can have like deep, deep burnout from something that is like seemingly normalized, like working, you know, a 40 hour or like 50 hour work week is like, yes, that, that does do something to us. Um, yeah. And I, I love seeing that become more like realized. Yeah. Yeah. That life is actually itself traumatizing, especially of how, in the ways that we have structured it. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And both like, of course it is because that's sort of like the human condition anyways. And then in addition to that, it also doesn't have to be like this. (laughs) Right. 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 Exactly. I love that. So for the listeners who don't have a knowledge around trauma-informed care and polyvagal theory, can you give us like a one-on-one polyvagal theory rundown? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think polyvagal theory was created as a trauma framework, but I think it's helpful for anybody. Like even if that's not maybe the way that you conceptualize of your experience, or maybe you have more of that like stress as trauma in your life. Um, sure. But the the polyvagal theory, which was created by a trauma therapist named Dr. Stephen Porges. And then I know more about polyvagal theory from Deb Dana, who's a psychotherapist. And she writes in a really very, very accessible way um, that was more like reachable for me. Uh, But both of them are, are like really doing the work around. um, Yeah. Like getting this conceptualization of the nervous system out there. So essentially, you know, we all have nervous systems. Our nervous system is our brain, our spinal cord. It's the way that we interpret information, make actions. A lot of it is subconscious. And then if you go through kind of all of the different branches of the central nervous system, there's the autonomic nervous system, which is our like automatic responses to things. Um, And the autonomic nervous system is really responsible for survival responses, um, but it's also responsible for our ability to connect with other people, with the planet, um, with ourselves. And polyvagal theory looks specifically at the autonomic nervous system through these kind of like three pillars of, of the theory. The first one being that the nervous system is organized hierarchically. So it's like at the top of the hierarchy, there is our ventral vagal nerve, which is part of the parasympathetic nervous system. So not to get like too jargony, because there's like a lot of words that are about to happen. For sure. <laughs> um, there is the, the parasympathetic nervous system is both our like feeling relaxed, connected, um, safe response. That's the ventral vagal. And then at the bottom of the hierarchy, it's also the dorsal vagal response, which is like shut down and collapse. So if you think about it, like the parasympathetic is like, like relaxing, but sometimes it goes like really far into a survival place. And that's what dorsal is. And then the middle of this hierarchy is the sympathetic nervous system, which is if I always think like sympathetic, because it's like, oh no, you're going through something here. Let me do something for you. That's just how I like keep it in my head. Yeah. So the, the sympathetic nervous system being responsible for like a fight or flight response. So some kind of like action, right? Like fighting back or getting out of the situation. And because of this hierarchy, again, with like the ability to connect at the top, fight or flight in the middle and at the bottom, that dorsal vagal shutdown response. If you Google like polyvagal ladder, you can get a nice graphic to go along um, as I like explain this. But um our first response is really wanting to connect with other people or with ourselves. And we see this like 
everywhere, right? We see it in children. They're always like, hi, on the street, right? Like it's our, it's our go-to. For sure. Um, we see this with like, yeah, even really devastating, like messed up things that happen in the world. Like people are lonely. And so mm-hmm. they're like trying to connect and either people do it through like cries for help. And that can be in a really violent way, or that can be in a really sad, desperate way. And like, that can look like a lot of things. Um, and if, if that call for connection isn't met, which it often isn't in the world we live in because we're so, many of us are so isolated um, and it's such an individualistic society here in the U.S. and other places um, that have been colonized by the U.S. and uh, obviously Europe, there's like a, yeah, we're all like pretty fragmented from each other. So when that call to connect doesn't happen, then the nervous system goes into fight or flight, the next rung on the ladder. So anxiety, stress, anger, fear, um, all of those sort of like, again, fight or flight responses. And then if that doesn't work, if we're still not experiencing getting our needs met through these sort of like calls for help, then we go into that dorsal vagal parasympathetic response, which is like, I total shutdown, depression, collapse. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be heard. Maybe if I play dead, someone will care is like a sort of way of thinking about it. So that's like the first pillar of polyvagal in a very like, you know, quick and dirty understanding of the letter. For and then sure. the next two are, are easier to understand. Um, the next pillar of the polyvagal theory being that our nervous system is always picking up on cues of danger or safety through neuroception, which is our, our nervous system's ability to sense our environment. And we don't even know this is happening a lot of the time. So, you know, you walk into, um, you know, a new environment and you're, you suddenly feel not okay, like not safe, or you don't feel good. Um, that, and you don't know why, maybe you don't even realize that you don't feel good there. You just realize that you feel scared all of a sudden, or you feel like sick to your stomach, or you don't want to eat at that restaurant or whatever. Um, and that is our nervous system picking up on cues of danger. So maybe you're the only queer person in the room or you're the only person of color in the room, or maybe there's some like racist or like super sexist misogynist art on the wall, or maybe, um, you realize that you can't afford to eat at this restaurant. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe all of this is subconscious and you're not even realizing it. And then you're not able to be present, enjoy yourself. This is kind of like, you know, one example. Yeah. of what that can look like. And then the final pillar of polyvagal being that co-regulation is this core need of humans. It is like what we need, you know, there's the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, safety being at the very core of, or like at the bottom of the higher, the triangle of needs, but really, really, truly biologically connection is like number one. We can be deeply unsafe in our environment. We see this all the time. Um, in studies done on like children in really stressful environments. And if they have a parent who is loving and attentive, it's okay if not okay, it's like they can get by with the feeling of unsafety if they have connection and they have love. So like, it's not like a spiritual woo-woo, like we all need love and connection. Like, no, biologically we need love and connection. So that's that's polyvagal <laughs> and a bit of like a, a trauma framework in there, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for going down that. I had so many thoughts while you were talking mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I guess the first thing um, I was talking to my dear friend um, who you were actually also on her podcast, but Wiltsy, Liz Wiltsy. Um, and we were talking kind of about like, social media and co-regulation and like, is it possible to co-regulate through Mm -hmm. technology? And I'm like interested to know your thoughts on that. Cause we like often talk about how scary 
the wild, wild west of the internet is. And you know, like how it's like causing us lots of harm when it comes to connection mm. and our needs around connection. So I'm interested to know your thoughts around, can we co-regulate mm. from our phones? Yeah, this is a wonderful question. I'm thinking a lot about these things and technology and the writing that I've been doing but yes, I certainly a hundred percent, I think it's possible even just, I can use a, an example. Um, I was posting about the violence that's happening in Palestine right now last night. And I was like, oh my God, like, what are people going to say? Like, am I going, is my account going to be deleted? Like things get really scary around this topic because there's so much, um, yeah, misinformation and, um, gaslighting and all these things. Right. And then I get this like flood of beautiful messages from other anti-Zionist Jews, from, you know, folks who are Palestinian, from people who are neither, but are like listening and are just like, you know, thank you for saying this. Thank you for speaking out. Like, yes, I agree. All these things. And I was like in this like total fight or flight state of like, what's going to happen? And then I got this like wave of like feeling so connected to like my community, to people I don't even know, to the world. Um, so that's just like an example of the way that I'm like, yes, we can so co-regulate through, um, through the internet. And also the, that happens pretty rarely. Mm. Um, and I would say that our, the amount of time that we spend looking for that co-regulation on the internet does not correlate to the amount of co-regulation that we receive. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So yes, it's possible. I would say that it is a more rare occasion. And most of the time when we reach for our phones, we are reaching for our phones for co-regulation and we don't get that back. Yeah. And so that is where I think a lot of our like, yeah, like feeling really isolated, feeling really scared and alone feelings can come from. And so having having our phone is one option as, as like an attempt for co-regulation, but really realizing like it may not happen. And if it doesn't, what are the other ways that we can get that, that feeling of co-regulation in IRL. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So what are your suggestions for other ways to get that? Um, especially, I mean, we're the world is starting, or at least America is starting to open back up and all these mm -hmm. things, but a lot of us are still home. How do we how do we get that need met? Mm, yeah, totally. Also, I just had this really, this is like a meta somatic therapy moment, but yeah. you were your arm and then my arm started itching oh like, so like just to say like look it's happening co regulation we're, we're co regulating like that that just happened just, I was like oh my god that's so crazy I love that <laughs> it's like when someone like you see somebody like fix their glasses or like mm -hmm. fix their head and then you do it um yep. mirroring anyways that was cool but um <laughs> yeah luckily polyvagal has so many answers to your wonderful question where it's like Co-regulation doesn't just happen with other people, although like certainly that's a really, really great avenue. So connecting with partners, family members, community in person when possible, um, even getting on the phone with someone, hearing their tone of voice, the ventral vagal nerve is so activated. That nerve of connection is so activated in a good, in a good way by tone of voice facial expressions. So FaceTime is great. Zoom is great. Um, obviously being in person with people is really magical when that's possible. So there's that, but then polyvagal offers us nature, animals, ourselves, our inner child, creativity, music, 
um, all of these other avenues that are really, really impactful to our state. Um, so yeah, anybody that has pets knows this, right? Like you can feel awful and then you cuddle your dog or cat or lizard or whatever, and you feel better. Like it, you do feel less alone. Um, and more recently for me, as I've left city living, um, I've really learned to co-regulate once again with nature. And I really feel like that is obviously mostly possible if you're in a place that has a lot of space and access to nature, but no matter where you are, there's like probably a tree somewhere or like there's probably a bird somewhere, right? So there is, um, there is that ability to really, yeah, like take in all of the beautiful neurochemicals that get released by nature that when humans breathe it in, we do just, again, biologically feel better. Um, and yeah, like so connected to purpose, our like role here, um, when I'm like caring for the land that I live on, whether it's like, um, yeah, like watering my garden or feeding the birds, I'm like, oh yeah, this is like humans were an accident. Like, you know, evolutionarily we were, we happened <laughs> to steward the land. Like the land does do better when humans are caring for for her in like a active way yeah. that isn't like exploitative. Um, and I love the, like the work of Robin Wall Kimmer, who's an incredible biologist and indigenous wisdom teacher, but she writes about this really interesting study. That's like a sort of ventral vagal anchor for me <laughs> in, in dark <laughs> moments. Um, where she tends to a field. It might've been of sweetgrass. I actually can't remember. Um, I believe that it was. Okay, cool. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, she tends to this field of sweetgrass and then the other field next door, um, she just lets it go wild. And the theory being like, oh yes, the earth is better when humans just let, let her do her thing, right? But actually it was the field that was cared for intentionally and lovingly that, that flourished. Um, so just a nice reminder when we co-regulate with nature that like we really are, um, yeah, we're meant to be in relationship with nature. I so love that you brought that up. It brings such joy to my heart because I um, can so relate, like so relate. I have been living upstate. I lived upstate New York for the past seven years. And so I had a, so much access to, um, to nature. And then in the last few months I've moved um, a little bit all over the place mm -hmm. and I'm craving, like I'm craving being back with some like soft grass under my feet and the maple nation around me and like all of that. And um, I'm like, it is, I just think that there is, and as an herbalist, I'm like, once I learned, I began to learn the, to ID the plants around me, I felt deep co-regulation because it wasn't just like I'm walking through. And I think that's beautiful too, like walking through and seeing the nature. But once I began to be in deeper relationship with the plants, I was like, yeah. oh, this is, this is deep. It's just deeper connection. It's just mm. deeper connection. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been very odd because I'm in LA now and it's like, I don't know any of the plants out here. I don't know who you are, what you do, like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. You have to get to know them like a new friend. Exactly. Takes time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, totally. I so, I so hear that. I, after reading um, 
Jenny O'Dell's book, How to Do Nothing. I've been learning the names of the birds around me. Um, we have like such an epic community of birds in, around our bird feeder, like 30 birds. They're all the same every oh day. And yeah, I was just like, oh, some of them are blue, some of them are red, some of them are black, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm like, that's a grackle or that's a cardinal or whatever. And it's so, yeah, so grounding to know them in that way, um, certainly. And like, there is a, a sense of belonging when you can locate yourself in that way. And, and also for me, like learning more about the original stewards of the land that I'm on, which is occupied Osage and Sioux territory. And like that, even just that is like a sort of anchor too of like, okay, yeah. who was actually here? And then learning about this incredible um, twin cities that was existing on either sides of the Mississippi River here. So in like colonized St. Louis and in colonized Illinois, um, like East St. Louis, Illinois, there was this sort of like twin cities um, that were built on these incredible dirt mounds. And at the time, more people lived there than did in London at the oh, time. Wow. Um, and when colonization happened, these mounds were decimated in order to build the city that I now live close to. And knowing that as devastating as that is, it's sort of like this like location of place and like what has happened here. And this idea that there was nothing here, quote unquote, before the like fur trappers came to, you know, St. Louis or whatever, um, yeah, like disrupting that narrative feels co-regulating in this way of like knowing the real history, her stories of things feels very, very, very grounding and important. Yeah, I love that you said that because I, I hadn't really thought about like knowing the history or knowing the history of a place also being mm -hmm. an act of co-regulation, but I can absolutely, absolutely feel that. I feel that with um, ancestral connection when I'm often thinking about like what it would be like a hundred years in the past for my ancestors in whatever space that I'm in, mm, you mm -hmm. know, and like thinking about, you know, connecting mm. to their wisdom in ways is like absolutely a form of co-regulation. And I just love yeah. that you love that you brought that up. Oh, I have chills. <laughs> I, yeah, that's so powerful. Like really, like you're literally co-regulating with your ancestors. Like yeah, that's yeah. so so deeply powerful and I can I definitely can feel that happen too as I learn more about the more like traditional cultural wisdom mm -hmm. of my ancestors too um yeah it's very very powerful you want to call it magic you want to call it co-regulation whatever you want to call it it's like it's very very real and felt yeah what I love most about trauma theory and polyvagal theory is that for me, I am of the woo-woo clan. I have always been of the woo-woo clan. Um, and for me, it was like, oh, this is the science that backs up yes. the things that like I have always thought and felt and believed yeah. and have been taught. Um, and like, we're talking about vibes. I'm like, that's literally nothing but neuroception. Like, <laughs> totally, I love that. Yes. Like that's all it is. And so I kind of wanted to switch over to neuroception a bit because I have been thinking, and I don't even know if I have um, really well put questions for you around this, but I have been questioning so much about neuroception and like really when it comes to us getting our needs met and mm -hmm. safety mm -hmm. and how do we move towards liberation? Mm. 
And so how do we get our needs met and feel safe in community while also making sure that we're not getting caught in the traps um, that the systems of oppression have set for us? Yeah. Um, Hmm. And I think it has, for me, in the work that I do, um, for me, it's like we have to get connected to our intuition. Mm. And for me, our intuition is beyond our trauma response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And like, how do you like honor mm. the trauma response of like, thank you, I bless you right. for keeping me safe. and. Right. I'm not going to live from the limited perception of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a question, but I'm interested to know your thoughts. Yeah. No, so many things. I'm also like, oh my God, I want to be taking notes, but I can, I'll do that later. Like there's so, <laughs> so juicy for me already. Um, and I'm loving everything that you're saying. I, there's this like very cool sort of like meta relationship we can have with ourselves when we honor our trauma responses instead of allowing them to be our intuition or allowing them to be like the full reality. Um, And in psychotherapy, that can be called parts work or internal family systems where we recognize that we have many different parts to us. And some of those parts have trauma and some of those parts either don't or sort of like higher self or like um, what's called the, you know, the self, which is that, that core authentic, you know, Andrea, who yes, like has been through these things, has these traumas, but ultimately is able to like be calm and creative and connected um, and thoughtful and really like letting that, that core self be the loudest voice in the room or sort of like care for or strategize with all of these different parts. And there have definitely been parts of my life, and I'm sure this is relatable for other people who um, have trauma, is like there are years, decades in which a traumatized part is running the show of your life, right? Like, you know, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And of course, because it's either the trauma is happening in the here and now. And so the current self is the traumatized self or the environment is so triggering or is so like not conducive to healing that that survival trauma self has to be the one who's managing and, and really healing is many things. And one of those things is making space for that core self to emerge and do more of the like cognitive decision-making and also, yeah, honoring the responses that have happened. And so you can have a trauma response and honor that response and also have that, that like core self really recognize that's what's happening instead of like, I don't feel safe. My intuition must be kicking in. And then that core self being like, oh, actually, you know, I see you traumatized 17-year-old self. You're the one who's having the feeling that this is real and that this is intuition. And actually, like, I'm noticing that it's 2021 and I live in a safe home with a safe partner. And I'm, I don't know if that's what this is. Like, I think, you know, this fight that you had with your partner is actually like triggering past relationship trauma, but you are actually safe right now. So it's like, it's like challenging, but also honoring and caring for that part that feels so deeply unsafe in the moment. Hi, beautiful ones. 
I'm pausing this episode quickly to let you know about a couple of ways that you can work with me. I am a liberation doula, which means that my work surrounds around helping folks to birth their most joyful, liberated lives. What does it look like to be free? What does it look like to practice freedom daily? And what does it look like to orient yourself towards personal and collective liberation? So in order to support people in their liberation, I have two ways to work with me one-on-one. The first is through liberation coaching, which is one-off coaching. You can go onto my website and sign up for a a, uh, session. It's one hour where we can talk about anything that is pressing in your life or that is uh, coming up for you, questions that you want to answer or something that you want to workshop. It's a great opportunity for just kind of like anything that's coming up and you would like to talk with me about it or workshop it with me, it's a great way to do that. The other option is through the Journey Intensive Coaching Program, which is a three to 12 month coaching intensive where I walk you through my framework for liberation. This framework is something I've been working on for many, many years, and I say often is an extension of the work that my ancestors have worked on for centuries. I have boiled it down to a three-part framework, which is alignment, embodiment, and connection. First, we will walk through what is your dream for your freedom? What is the dream for your life? If you could have a full imagination about what is possible, um, let's play and be in that space. And then we evaluate your value, see what is working for you, what isn't working for you. And then are you living in alignment to those values? And then we work through what it looks like to be an embodiment of those values, an embodiment of your intuition. And then we move into the connection piece, which is all about anti-oppressions and the ways that we live out the systems of oppressions daily through the ways that we talk, the ways that we walk, the choices that we make and things that we support. And how do we undo that? How do we remove those things from our embodied program? Um, And that's what we work through with the coaching intensive, which is a really beautiful opportunity to dig deep into your liberation and to create frameworks and systems for that. So if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can do that through the link in the show notes or go to letsgetnaked.com slash coaching. Now let's get back to the episode. I love that. I love that. I often think of it as like adult me and child me, like Mm -hmm. being like, okay, adult me is going to like take over now, but I see you and I honor you and I love you. Let me like hold your hand as we walk through this thing, you know? Perfect. Exactly. I feel that deeply. I feel that. And I often kind of going back to the social media thing. I'm like, this is where social media feels dangerous Mm. to me because I'm like, So many of us are looking to co-regulate while so many of us are on social media acting from our trauma body Mm -hmm. rather than from our high self body. Yeah. And it's like, how do we co-regulate in a system, in a like platform where so many of us are like acting out our traumas? Mm -hmm. It's like, I mean, it's just a mirror of the rest of the world that we're living in, but like. True. 
it's it's like documented so you can see it so much mm-hmm. clearer yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah I feel like I'm seeing that so strongly with parts of my not like people I know necessarily but yes also people that I know Jewish community who cannot see like certain facts or realities around like what's happening in Palestine and um and I'm like, wow, like, look right here, right now, it's happening. You're having a trauma response and it's clouding your cognitive abilities. Like it's happening. Um, and it's so uh, heartbreaking to watch because um, there's like, obviously like so many other complicated factors related to it. But yeah, it's true. It's like, this is, um, you can like see it happening in real time, right? Like watching people have cognitive distortions because of trauma in real time. So then what do we do? Like, right. <laughs> Andrea, what do we do? Like, <laughs> so how do we begin to like detach from the trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Or like at least detach from identifying with that particular part of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, because I often think about that with being black in this moment and in this world mm-hmm. and not just in this moment for however many centuries. I'm always trying to figure out what it looks like to detach my blackness from the trauma of my oppressors Mm. and like how to not let those two things be like one be defined by the other. Yeah. And so, and like, that's like, I have no, I I still don't, I have no idea how to do that. (laughs) But like, um, how do we, cause I think another thing is like, sometimes we get so identified with the trauma. We get so identified with the response that it's like, if we separate it from it, it's like, where is my identity? You know, like, who am I now? Right, right. And that's such a loaded question, but I'm interested to know your your thoughts around how do we separate while not feeling like we're losing ourselves at the same time. Totally. Yeah. And that, that just makes me think about how powerful the survivor movement is and like particularly like the Me Too movement. And again, like p- the predominantly black women who have pushed that movement and created that movement of like, what if being a survivor is a powerful identity and not a like identity of only oppression. Yeah. And I think like, regardless of your identities, other than being a survivor, like because of that work that those women have done, there is like this framework that is available to us of like being a survivor is powerful. It's not being quote stuck in your trauma, right? Like I do not like the word victim for like a million reasons, but like if we want to find what's like a better word, like let's say being stuck in your trauma, right? And like that being everything and all you can see, which is also really important to have those like days, months, years where you're like just in it. Like sometimes you just have to be like, this all happened to me and I'm so devastated and angry. And like, it's all you can do is just sit in that. Um, but then the like transformation happening in owning survivorship again, whether it's like because of sexual trauma or because of your ancestral trauma and the very lived reality of being someone in a particular kind of body in this world. Um, But yeah, like really harnessing that resilience and then everything that comes after resilience, right? Like joy, love, creativity, connection, um, power, purpose, like all of these, like, it's not just about 
like, okay, I, I got through that. It's like, what have you done with what has happened to you? Um, and it never should have happened, but now, now what? Yeah. I love that. I love that because we've created something out of what could have been devastation, you know, Mm -hmm. like survivors, marginalized folks, right. All of us have like created something really beautiful out Mm -hmm. of where it was never supposed to be beautiful. Yeah, exactly. And that's like really, Mm -hmm. I feel it's like so necessary to honor at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I think again, like if you come from a lineage where there has been so much culture and celebration built out of like pain or like, here's what we have to work with. Like, let's make it beautiful. Like that's, we already know how to do that. The earth does that. Like our ancestors have done that. Like the frameworks already exist. I'm reading like, oh, this book that's blowing my mind called The Mushroom at the End of the World. Um, It's, Oh, it's so good. It's like even <laughs> just the title of like, oh. um, but it's about, um, yeah, like life in capitalist ruins. There's this kind of mushroom, the matsutake that grows best in the ruins of a like forest that's been sort of ravaged for production. Oh my gosh. Like so cool. So like the earth is already making something beautiful and delicious and powerful and cleansing out of ruin. And yeah. like, that's, that is what survivors are doing. That is what, you know, black folks have been doing forever. That is what Jewish folks have been doing forever on and on. We can add many other like lineages to that list. Um, And so like with time, like there's this in the book, um, the author is writing about, we have this idea of progress as moving forward, but like, what if we look at other temporalities and not just like looking back, like because obviously things were like fucked up, like back in other times. Yeah. Um, but like, what if we can extend instead of like, what does progress look like looking forward? Like what has the earth already figured out? What have our ancestors already figured out for us? And we just need to listen. Yeah. Yes. We just need to listen. I love that. I love that. And like regulate long enough to be able to listen. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, like get to a point where we can like simmer the inside of us down a bit so that we mm-hmm. can hear the wisdom of the ancestors of the earth of one another, mm-hmm. because like the, the answers, I feel like we're constantly searching for the answers, but it's because we're like circling in our brains mm-hmm. and running around on the hamster wheel. Like when the answers are really like right in front of us. Oh my God. Totally. So true. Yeah. Yeah. Like slowing down to notice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. And that also is like, so connected to find like finding a way or like hacking a way through capitalism to like make that space for yourself because we don't have that time because we're not like most of us are not allotted that time to like do that regulating, to do that inner work. It's like, you're done with work, you get on your phone and then you go to sleep and then you wake up and repeat or like a vacation. Like (laughs) what's that? You know, like there's so few opportunities to just sit and be with yourself or be with your ancestors or be with your garden. And like finding a way to do that in this world is so important. And the, what our phones and what technology oftentimes ends up doing is stealing what time we do have away from us. Uh, <laughs> it's just so it's so convoluted in some ways because it's like the answers that we need 
really ultimately comes down to being able to divest from capitalism. I mean, like I will say it until my dying day, my dying day that like we really have to divest from the ways that capitalism has taught us how to be in the world Mm -hmm. in order to begin to heal. Yeah. Our, our racism stuff, our patriarchy stuff, our homophobia stuff, like all of it and our own trauma. Like there's, it's gotta, it has to capitalism, the anti-capitalist work has to almost happen in the same breath because in order for Mm -hmm. us to heal our trauma, we have to sit down long enough. And like, in order Mm -hmm. for us, for us to sit down long enough, we have to kind of wrestle with the internal monologue of like, you don't deserve to be, Mm -hmm. Yes, you know? Yes. Right. Which is so deeply informed by white supremacy, by patriarchy, by homophobia. Like they're all, Ugh, it's like this interlocking system that's keeping us from ourselves. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, the last like question, well, not the last question, but the last piece that I had is like self-regulation. How do you, when you're in the middle of a trauma response, you're in the middle of like being very heightened, very triggered, and you really can't see the forest for the trees. Hmm. What are some tools that one can use to remind themselves to slow down? Mm, mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, I think like this is a very common question I know therapists always get from clients and then I definitely get from clients is like, what do I do in these moments? And I, for such a long time, I was like, God, I just don't have a good answer. Like nothing seems to be working enough or like there's, there's no like breath pattern that's as powerful as a Xanax instantly, unfortunately, (laughs) like, fuck, you know, like it's really, really hard to, to answer this question for that reason. And then the work of one of my teachers, Dr. Janina Fisher, she writes a lot about like building towards feeling better versus like, I'm triggered and then I need to feel instantly better. So like, what does that? It's like, nothing does that. You know, that's not, maybe some chemicals do that. Um, Maybe some like extreme coping mechanisms do that. Um, And changing our framework away from this like more capitalist, um, you know, like everything being immediate uh, because that is like the world that we very much live in when it comes to the market. So you can get anything delivered to your house. Um, (laughs) Is that thing, these things take time. Seeing the forest through the trees takes time. And she offers what I love as like a 10% better strategy. So Mm. like maybe it's not about feeling like feeling so triggered, so awful, and then feeling completely better a minute later, but it's like, can you feel 10% better and what gets you there? Um, and then from sensory motor psychotherapy, which is the somatic framework that I'm trained in, Pat Ogden, who's the creator of that, she offers these different categories of what she calls resources. So a resource is different from a coping skill, a coping skill you learn in therapy or you learn in a workshop and you have to practice it and maybe you have to buy something to like do the thing. And um, the, like a resource is kind of this like anti-capitalist, you have everything you need inside of you already, or, um, or maybe you wanna add to what you have, but recognizing all that you are already utilizing and that actually bringing mindfulness and awareness to the tools, to the resources you already have or you're already using, that's what's missing. Is you, Maybe you already have what you need nervous system wise, materially, relationally, but they're just, what you're missing is the time or the mindfulness of being like, 
I have a place to live. I have enough food in my, you know, um, pantry. I have a partner who loves me and sees me. I have a beautiful like animal family and friend family that ground me, like having the, the awareness and then the awareness to utilize those resources. Because when we're feeling triggered, Mm. um, we tend to isolate or we tend to, um, yeah, like want to, get the feeling better part over with where it's like, you might have to spend time with your friends for a couple hours to feel 10% better, mm-hmm. or you might have to take a walk in the woods for an hour to feel only 10% better, but like, that's still better than nothing. And then is it the like walk in the woods, the time with your friends, the getting good sleep, the making a good breakfast, the journaling, the meditation, the, um, taking care of your house plants, and then maybe 24 hours later, you do feel better. It just, we have to move through things. Yeah. I love that answer. I (laughs) love that answer because there is so much, I mean, so much of me is always looking for like a pill and like a metaphorical pill of like, okay, I'm going to take this and then it's going to be perfect. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to be great. And uh, it's just, it's a fallacy. It's just a fallacy. Right, right. And it keeps us, I feel like in so many ways, it also keeps us wanting more and more and more and more and more rather than just being able to be present with what is um, and learning the capacity to, for those of us who who have the privilege to be able to sit in our trauma a little bit, or Mm -hmm. at least our trauma responses a little bit and like be like, okay, I can stay here and I'm safe here for a second. Right. Not forever, but for right now in this moment, Mm -hmm. I'm safe here. I think for those of us who have that privilege to be able to do that, it's like worthwhile to like not be trying to always run out of it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to sit for a second. Yeah. Um, And not stay, not stay, but just for a moment to Mm -hmm. like know what's there. (sighs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Polyvagal teaches us so much about this too because- what Deb Dana writes a lot about is how when you're in dorsal, so you're in that shutdown, collapse, depression, dissociate, numb, however it shows up for you, when you're in that state, that is your body's final survival response at staying alive. That's a deep, dark place to be. So people are like, I'm so depressed. I don't know how to get out of this. Of course you don't. <laughs> like this is your your body's final line of defense against death. Like that's how deep this shit is. Ooh, Yeah. So it's going to take some time to climb your ladder. And typically, which I really didn't have a personal awareness around until learning about the hierarchy, is we move through sympathetic anxiety, fear, anger, before getting back to that ventral vagal connected, safe place. And there's like so many times where I've been like so in the depths and then I'm so anxious and then I start to feel better, but the anxiety tricks you. You're like, oh, I was depressed and now I'm anxious. Like, what the fuck? Right. Um, (laughs) But it's your body mobilizing. You're so in the depths that something has to happen to get you out of it. Anxiety pushing you, pulling you up into that window of tolerance again. Oh, I, you know, I, I hadn't realized that, but that makes so much sense mm-hmm. thinking about my own patterns. That makes so yeah. much sense. Yeah, yeah. Wow, 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 wow. So um, tell me more about your somatic training and like what somatics are. Um, it's something that I have known about have heard the word a thousand times like know what it means but have never actually studied um so I'd be really interested to know your relationship with it 
Yeah, certainly. So sensory motor psychotherapy is a psychotherapy institute um, started by a trauma therapist who before she was a trauma therapist, Pat Ogden, she was a body worker. So a lot of people go psychotherapy into body stuff. She actually did the opposite. So I love the framework because it is so, so deeply informed by that, like, um, experience as a body worker that Pat has. And in sensory motor, the sort of framework being very centered on the nervous system um, and very centered on internal awareness, interoception, um, noticing the body's responses to emotions, beliefs, feelings, how those are all connected and uh, including the body in therapy. So like a client is, you know, I feel so blank. Like, where is that? What does it feel like? What changes when you notice it? Um, where does it move to? Where is it trying to go? How can we get it out? Um, and there's a lot of like really interesting approaches to understanding like the way that our bo- our bodies physically are and the way that we feel about ourselves. You know, people who like might have certain like postures that are not medically related um, are just more like, you know, everybody's body is so different. Like when you really start to pay attention, you're like, oh my God, like everybody walks so differently. Everybody sits so differently. Um, And sometimes there's no reason other than that's how the person's body is like medically, biologically. And other times it's like, you know, your client who can't set a boundary won't stand on two feet and just stands kind of over to the side. And it's like, Mm. oh, that's interesting. Right. Um, you know, can you stand on your two feet and say no, you know? Um, so that's like a really interesting component of the somatic, aspect of, of sensory motor. Um, and in my practice, which is a little bit more integrated, like some people are like, I'm a, you know, sensory motor therapist, or I'm a internal family systems therapist, or this is what I do. Um, my somatic approach is, uh, or my approach is like a a bit more integrated than that. So there's like the body-based stuff. There's the like oppression as trauma framework. There's like a general, um, trauma framework. There's attachment, like rupture trauma framework stuff in there. The more like parts work stuff we already talked about polyvagal. So I think for a lot of like therapists, we get trained in things and then we, we integrate parts of it. Um, and for other people, they take a training and they're like, cool, this is what I'm going to do like textbook. Um, and at first that's really what I thought I needed to do, uh, because I'm a double Virgo. (laughs) So I was like, I have to do things by the textbook. Um, but then I just found what comes naturally for me from what I've learned and that, that resonates a bit more. Yeah, I can understand that (laughs) multiple earth placement. (laughs) I saw your Capricorn mug. I'm like, "Mm -hmm, yes. Yep. Um, amazing. I love that. I am, um, I've been trained as a yoga teacher and so body work and being and working through for me, like, I think the first I had been in therapy for years, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until falling in love with yoga, my body falling in love with yoga Mm -hmm that I was like, oh, I'm moving things. Like I'm actually moving some stuff. Right. Mm, totally. And totally. Uh, for, I was like, oh yeah, no, the, the issues are in your tissues. Like <laughs> the issues yes. absolutely are yeah. in your tissues. One of my teachers used to say that in our training, like, oh, it is, oh, it is. Yeah. And like being able to access that mm-hmm. is so, so important. 
God, totally. I love that. I'm going to definitely <laughs> use that. It's yes. very, it's so deep. Yeah. There's like both in like a, I feel tense at the end of a day, or I feel tense after like having some sort of microaggression at work or whatever. And then also like really thinking about like applying that if, if it resonates with people to a like chronic pain or illness framework. And like, there's like so many issues in the tissues of like my <laughs> family members, myself, like my ancestors. And like, it's um, yeah, like that more epigenetic framework of like the, the environment is so deeply impactful. And then we pass that on to our kids and their kids and their kids. And like, when, when we're working the shit out of our bodies, we're working their shit out of our bodies. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, it's like beautiful. And I saw this meme the other day that was like a Homer Simpson meme. And like, it's always so awful when you're trying to explain a meme and I don't know why I'm trying to do it, but it was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) But like, he's like sitting there with the kids around. He's got gray hair and some glasses and he's like reading a book. And in the caption was like, um, me telling my grandkids how I had to go through generations, heal generations of trauma for their asses. And I'm like, yep, that sounds about right. (laughs) Yeah, that's so good. (laughs) Wow. Yes, 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 that, that, that. <laughs> so true. Yeah, I, I recently have started teaching at this incredible facilitation program called Trauma of Money. And it's not like, like money work isn't like my thing. Like I know it's like people's whole careers and, you know, whatever. But um, it's been so mind-blowing, like what has come up in the classes with participants. And then even in my own life, like talking about that, you know, my, um, grandmother lived through the great depression with a single mom who had just like immigrated from Russia. And like, she, my grandmother will like sit at her kitchen table and put ketchup packets into a ketchup bottle. And like, Mm. it's, it's that kind of stuff where I'm like, I notice myself, maybe I don't do that, but I do similar type things where I'm like, it's, it's in my body. It's in my habits. Like it's in my relationship with everything, right? It's like food, money, my body, like, um, everything. Like it just, the, the tendrils are, are everywhere. Yes, yes, yes. And who, I mean, it can, if we don't catch ourselves, it can be mm-hmm. so overwhelming. Yeah. It can be an overwhelming task. Yes. You know, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's for me. It's like, how do I bring some joy to it? How do I bring Mm -hmm. some levity to it? How do I, that's why I love a meme about it. Like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no, that's so true. Humor is such a resource for that. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's very true. Yeah. There's a lot of like laughter in my family around those like behaviors. (laughs) Yes. Yes. For sure. For sure. For sure. Um, Okay. One last thing before we move towards close Mm -hmm. is that you are a um kink affirming therapist and I'm interested to know what that looks like what that means and how that came to be a part of your practice um yeah yeah Yeah, totally in in the vein of like just integration in my practice. It's like, I forget that I am because it's just so integrated for those who aren't like watching this. There's like a, there's art in my office with like a gimp mask and like 
um, leather boots and like safety pins and whatever. Like it's very just like part of my practice because I work with queer and trans people pretty much exclusively and our sex is always subversive. And so it often includes like power um, and BDSM. And so it's like, just sort of similar, like, how can I be a queer therapist without being a trauma therapist? Yeah. Like, <laughs> how can I be a queer therapist and a trauma therapist without being kink affirming? Like it all goes together. And even for like my clients who are straight women, um, like it's getting to explore some of their own like fantasies or curiosities around kink and like that wouldn't be possible with someone who maybe like wasn't asking those questions. And I have those questions from obviously like my own life experiences, but also because I was a sex educator uh, in college. And so there's like a, I wouldn't say like sex positive framework because I think the framework that I was given was like all sex, as long as it's like consensual is like good, where it's actually like for survivors, it's a bit more complicated than that. Mm. And, um, sex is a bit more complicated than that. Like the, the cure for our sex negative culture is not like the most sex possible for some people it is, but for some people it's, it's actually really not. So, um, I'd say like, it's more, yeah, it's more like a trauma informed kink and like sex positivity than just like a general sex positivity. Um, yeah. And I just, I think it's like, um, again, you can't work with the clients that I work with who are also like my, my communities or like people who are like me without also including that, like being affirmative and not even like affirming, but like really curious, like asking Mm. those questions. If clients want to go there, like what is the connection between this and certain life experiences you have? Or like, we haven't talked about sex or your fantasy life. Like, why is that? Where's, where's the barrier there? And sometimes it's just because people don't realize they can talk about it in therapy, but sometimes there's, there's more there. I love that. I love that. I never really, um, it wasn't until I was much older and exploring and allowing myself to have my own um, BDSM and kink fantasies Mm -hmm. that I realized that there is um, the levels of which it connects to other things in my life or um, some trauma or some whatever. Mm -hmm. And I never allowed myself to even explore Mm -hmm. those thoughts until I was in a safe space with a partner who was affirming of that. Totally. And I think it's funny, I have absolutely never been asked that in therapy. Yeah. About that. And I I wish, I wish that my therapist would. Like Mm -hmm. that would be an Mm -hmm. interesting conversation and to like unravel some of those connections. Yeah. Um would be great. But I also just think we don't think about sometimes we think about sex is like over here and then the Mm -hmm. rest of our life it exists over here. You know? Yeah. And that's just not always true. Yeah. See with trauma. It's like, this is like sex is over here and trauma is over here. And the more you can separate the two out, the better. Um, but it's actually like, no, for a lot of like survivors, that's never going to be possible. And so what if you took the two and just like mixed them up together and built something anew? Like what would that look like? And it's usually kink, but not always. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. So good. So before I ask my last and closing question, where can people find you, support your work, and all the things? Yeah, uh, folks can find me on my website 
andreaglick.com. I have a monthly newsletter. I write blog posts once in a blue moon. And then on my Instagram at somatic witch, I have some workshops. Um, also on my website, um, there's a lot of other podcasts that I've been on that people can find lots of free content. Um, and yeah, more, more exciting things to come. Oh yeah. I teach at trauma of money, which is a really amazing facilitation program. Or if you just have some trauma around money that you want to like learn about. <laughs> and then I also, um, am an intensive coach at Tempest Sobriety School, which is a radical alternative to AA, even though I love AA, AA is great. Um, it's just nice to have other options. Um, and Tempest is, um, yeah, a really great, like more community-based um, intersectional approach to sobriety, holistic approach to sobriety. Amazing. So what is lighting you up these days? Oh, another wonderful, wonderful question. Um, I have a pretty epic uh, summer vegetable garden happening in my, on my land, um, my little piece of land. Yeah. So that's been literally grounding, <laughs> literally rooting for me. Um, had a very successful spring garden also that, yeah, it was just like nourishing every part of myself. And I never was a gardener, never took any interest in this, had some dear friends who built really, really epic gardens during a pandemic and inspired me to like, give it a try. And I'm an earth sign. So I'm just like loving it. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's also camping season. So I'm starting to camp on the weekends, which is another like incredibly recharging experience for my nervous system. Uh, I talked about that book that I'm loving, um, Mushroom at the End of the World. I'm also reading a really beautiful book called Through Hiking Will Break Your Heart by Carrot Quinn, who's a queer through hiker, which is when you like go hike a really long trail all the way through without stopping other than like sleep and um, resupplying. And that, that book is very, um, makes me feel very empowered to do some more like bigger picture nature excursions. Um, yeah. yeah, that's like where, that's where like my life is when I'm not doing trauma work. <laughs> it's just like adventuring. Love, 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 love. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Andrea, for coming on and sharing. It was an amazing conversation. Oh, yes. Thank you for everything you said. Again, I can't wait to like read this to write down some of the like brilliant nuggets that you said that I like just want to marinate in. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Hmm, such a good episode. I hope that you found some type of tool to support you in regulating your nervous system and connecting to it um, and honoring the beautiful mechanism that is the nervous system. Um, I was super, super stoked to have this conversation with Andrea and I hope that you deeply enjoyed it. So thank you for being here as always. Thank you for listening, for subscribing, for leaving your comments and DMing. And um, I'm super grateful for you all. And I will talk to you all next Thursday. Have a wonderful week. Much love to you.